0: And then we'll work our way up through uh, chapter eleven, verse one. First Corinthians ten, verses twenty-three through chapter eleven, verse one. Uh, the title of our lesson this morning is the glory of God, and it's going to take us uh, two weeks to get through this. Um, so we, well, this is part one. We'll finish up part two uh, next week, um, and then we'll we'll head into to chapter eleven. Now, back in May, uh, we, if you kind of go back and look through the, what we've studied through, back in May, uh, we first entered the 8th chapter of, of 1 Corinthians. And whether you really realize it or not, the last uh, two months of study has really been about one subject, and that is Christian freedom. Um, how does a Christian function within the framework of their, of their liberty? How does a Christian know what is right or what is wrong when the bible doesn't explicitly say something is right or wrong what does our christian freedom allow us to do or prohibit us from doing these are these are all the types of questions that we've talked about and for 3 chapters paul has been answering those questions for us and and now he comes to the end of chapter 10 and he's going to summarize everything that he's been Uh, talking about. So again, he's been answering questions, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. He comes to the end of chapter 10, and he's going to summarize everything that he's been talking about. And this summary contains one of the most important and one of the most essential verses um, in the entire Bible. Uh, In fact, it is a statement that literally encompasses I won't say all, uh, uh, everything else in the Scripture, but almost everything in Scripture. It kind of encompasses it and kind of brings it under one heading or one Scripture, and that is found in verse 31. Paul says this, So, in other words, he says, I've talked about all this, I've answered all these questions, I've given you all these principles and guidelines, and he says, So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, that is, we say that's so essential and important because that is the bottom line of the Christian life. If you want to know what it's all about, and we'll talk about this in detail next week, that's what it's all about, do all to the glory of God. And, and by the way, that is basically the meaning of life for, for not just Christians, but for, for everyone. Um, I went back and looked. At the Westminster Catechism. For those of you that don't know what a catechism is, you may have heard of the Catholic Catechism, but it's a series of questions and answers that's designed to teach people about the faith. It's, it's normally used for children, but it can be used for anyone. And there's one called the Westminster Catechism, and the very first question and answer in the Westminster Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man, or what is the purpose of man? What is your purpose here on this planet? What is your purpose of that very reason you exist? Well, the answer to that, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is what you are on this planet for. I remember back when I was youth pastoring here, we would teach the kids this over and over and over again. What is your purpose? What, what do you exist for? That's what you exist for, is to bring glory to to God. And Paul says, whatever you do, that, that covers what? Everything, right? The way you parent should glorify God. The way your marriage should bring glory to, to God. The way you work should bring glory to God. Your sexuality should bring glory to, to God. The way you dress, the way you spend your money. Paul says, whatever you do, that is what? Everything and anything it's all, everything we do should be bringing glory to God. That's what Paul is saying here, whatever you do. Now, we're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about it more um, next week. But that's what this, this, this verse is saying. Now, that command is pretty simple, right? It's not hard to understand necessarily. But how to do it in our everyday life. Now, that that becomes a little bit tougher. How to How to make the right choice in the multiple and myriad of decisions that we have on a daily basis that's always that's not always so so easy that is why the right use of our christian freedom is is so important and by christian freedom i mean the liberty that we have in christ to do things in areas that the bible doesn't cover and we've talked about this multiple times in here when there are things when we're going to come to decisions where we look in the bible and the bible doesn't forbid it the bible doesn't allow it you have the freedom as a christian to make your to make your own uh... decision and we've seen that in the bible whether it's eating meat offered to idols whether it's drinking wine whether it's going to a movie or a dance whether it's fishing on sunday whether it's attending a gay wedding whatever it might all of those things right whatever it might be that is in your particular culture we would consider that a gray area you have freedom to make decisions in those areas now as i said in today's passage paul will summarize what he's been writing about for the last 3 chapters and in doing so he is going to give us some principles and guidelines in the right use of our Christian freedom. In fact, he's going to give us five. Now, remember, he's summarizing everything that he's been talking about for the last three chapters. And to do that, he's going to give us five principles or five guidelines. And here's the first one. Edification over gratification. If you are taking notes, you can write these down. This is the first principle. Edification over gratification. Look at verse 23. Paul says this, All things are lawful but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Or your translation may use the word edify, okay? Now, apparently when Paul was in Corinth and he was there establishing the church and he was teaching, um, he had used the phrase, all things are lawful. So in their daily life, they had made this kind of into a general principle. Is it okay to go to the temple? Well, all things are lawful. Is it okay to eat meat offered to idols? Well, all things are lawful. Is it okay to attend my cousin's wedding that's dedicated to Aphrodite? Well, all things are lawful. That was kind of their, their phrase that they had used to kind of guide themselves, which kind of, you know, if that's your, if that's your principle or guideline, you're just all things are lawful, you're going to do what? All things. It really kind of takes the decision-making out of it. Um, and by the way, that slogan is true... When it comes to gray areas in our life, That's what, that is true. All things are lawful. But see, Paul wants us to see that there are limitations. Not all things are beneficial to us. Not all things are helpful uh, to our life. And therein lies his first principle, edification over gratification. We are not to live our lives to gratify ourselves. The Christian life is not about satisfying our goals and our dreams and our desires and our needs. It's not about doing what what just pleases us. Well, all things are lawful, I can just do whatever I want to do. Paul says no. It's about edification. Um, Edification uh, comes from the Greek word okidomio, which literally means to build a house. That's what the word means. It literally means to build a house. It always refers in the scripture to spiritual growth. So what Paul is saying is all things are lawful, but not all things build you up spiritually. Not all things contribute to the building of your your spiritual house. Every decision you and I make as a Christian should be to the end, or at least with an eye on the fact, does this build me up? Does this enhance my spiritual growth? In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul will actually go on to say, let all things be done for edification. So when I come to a gray area, I really should ask myself two questions. Number one, do I have the right to do that? Now, again, we've talked about this multiple times. There are things in the Bible that the Bible just says that's wrong. Don't do that. It, it's as clear as a bell. There's no, there, there's no, you know, for example, the Bible says don't get drunk, right? It, you don't, you know, d- don't do that. It says it very clearly. Um, I don't have to ask, don't have to pray about it, you know? It's, it's stated right there in the Bible. But if, if there's other areas where it's not stated so clearly, I can say, do I have the right to do that? But Paul says there's a second question you need to ask yourself as well, And that is, will this build me up spiritually? Will this build up my spiritual house? And if the answer, by the way, is yes to both of those, then it's probably going to be the right choice. Everybody with me? If you can say, I got the right to do it, and it's going to build me up spiritually, then the odds are that that's probably going to be something you can do without any issues. However, notice I use the word probably. Because there's another principle that Paul gives us next, and that is others over self. And you see that in verse 24. Paul says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, when it comes to choosing between what builds me up and what builds another person up, Paul says you are to choose the other person's benefit. In other words, I've got a choice. Is it going to build me up? Does it build them up? Paul says, choose the other person. Everybody see that? So it's not always about me. Let's say I've got a choice to make in a gray area. Okay? So I've got a choice. I come to a decision to make, and, and uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Okay? Not, nothing in particular. I am free to go either way. I'm I'm free to do it. I'm free to, to not do it. I've got a right to go either way. I may even look at one of those options and say, you know what, that option here really benefits me more spiritually. But Paul says you have to ask one more question, and that is, how will this affect others? So you can't just stop, how will it affect me? You have to ask the question, how will it affect others? You see, Paul lived this out in his own life. Do you remember when Paul? I think it was in chapter nine, when Paul was uh, had a decision to make. Should I take money from the churches? Everybody remember we talked about all this a few several weeks ago. Should I take money from the churches? Does he have a right? Now let me ask you the question: Does Paul have a right to expect the churches to 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 support him? Yes or no? Yes. So that's question number one. Do I have the right to do it? Yes. Paul then asked the second question, would this build me up spiritually? Well, I can tell you, for Paul, the answer should have been yes, because if he would have taken money from the churches, that means he doesn't have to spend every night making tents to support himself, right? If he's not making tents, does he, doesn't he have more time to pray, more time to study, more time to evangelize? Well, sure he would. It makes perfect sense to, to do that. In fact, it's one of the reasons we do it today, so that we give our pastors to have more time to pray and and to study and to visit and to do the things that they do because it builds them up spiritually and it builds others up spiritually. But then Paul asked a third question. If I take money from the churches, how will this affect other people? And you see, Paul realized, man, if I I start taking money from them, they're just going to see me as another religious huckster. Okay, Paul says, I'm not going to do it. I'll just I'll work, I'll make tents, I'll support myself. I don't want to be a hindrance to the gospel. Does everybody see how he, he works through that? Yes, I have the right to do it. Yes, it might even benefit me spiritually, but how's it going to benefit these people, my weaker brothers and sisters? No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to back off. In other words, he gives up his own liberty for the benefit of others. That's exactly what Paul is is talking about here. And that is the second principle: others over self. And by the way, This is really the principle of love, right? See, I'm going to do what is spiritually beneficial for both of us if I can, right? That's what I want to do. I want to make decisions that spiritually benefit me, that spiritually benefit you. But if I have to make a decision, if it comes down where I can't do both, then Paul always says, choose others. Put others ahead of yourself. Give up your freedom, your liberty for the sake of others. That's the the fourth principle. And here's the beautiful thing about that. When you actually do that, when you give up your own benefit, when you give up your own edification so somebody else can be built up, in the end, you're actually building yourself up anyway because you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8.1? Knowledge puffs up, but love what? Love builds up, love edifies. So anytime you're doing that, you're actually building yourself up anyway. So it's a, it's a win-win situation. Now, I want to pause right here and just talk about how awesome the Bible is. You know, every time I get into the Bible and I study the Bible, it never ceases to amaze me about how the Bible just foresees everything. It it just is so in tune with human nature. And here's what I mean by that. I just gave you two principles. The first principle was edification over gratification. In other words, look, does this thing build me up? And then Paul says, yeah, but you have to ask a second question. Does it also build other peoples up? And he says if there's a conflict, you always choose what? The other person. Now, if Paul stopped there, and that was the only two principles he gave us, I can tell you you'd all be in straitjackets by the end of the week. Can you imagine having to make decisions in our Christian life in what we call gray areas, areas where the Bible doesn't specifically say it's right, and Bible doesn't specifically say something's wrong, you've got the freedom to use the indwelling Holy Spirit to walk in the Spirit and to live in the Spirit and make those decisions. Can you imagine if that's the only two principles you had? It would literally drive you insane. Does anybody know why? Anybody? Every decision you came to, if question number one was, does it build me up, yes or no, question number two is, will this offend somebody? Why would that drive you insane? Because, son, I'm telling you, something you do will offend somebody. You would, you would be paralyzed. You would never do anything. I mean, that's just the way it is. Just imagine for a moment, again, those are the only two principles you gave us. So in every decision, you would have to ask the question, would this offend somebody else? Could this possibly offend somebody else? Let me tell you, the answer to that would always be yes. Because people are so easily offended. I mean, they can be offended by something. Listen, stop singing out of a hymnal, guess what will happen? Somebody's going to be offended, right? Um, you, you Go fishing on Sunday, you're going to offend somebody. You'll go to a dance, you're going to offend somebody. Wear shorts to church. Thank you, Irvin, you you made my, my point this morning. I looked down here and Irvin, wear shorts to church, you're going to offend somebody, right? Am I, am I right or wrong? See, no matter what decision you'd have to make... You would be paralyzed because the chances are you're going to offend somebody no matter what you do. So, if the Bible just stopped there, I don't know what we would do. So, it doesn't stop there. In fact, again, if we only had those two principles, in the end, we'd end up doing nothing because someone would all, there'd always be a chance of offending somebody with what we do. So, the question is how do we find balance? How do we find balance? The balance. And this is where Paul is just so practical, so down-to-earth. And he says, well, one way is you don't go around asking too many questions, okay? You don't run around asking too many questions, which leads us to our third principle, which is liberty over legalism, okay? Now, watch how Paul illustrates this principle. Look at verse 25. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says this, Eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Okay? So Paul has just said, look, make sure that all things are lawful, right? But not all things are helpful and beneficial. And then he says, everybody should seek the good of other people instead of your own self. And then he comes to verse 25 and he says, eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any questions on the ground of of conscience. Can you imagine somebody going to the butcher shop, going to Winn-Dixie, and you go back and you say, Sir, before I buy this piece of meat, I need to make sure that this wasn't offered to Zeus in sacrifice. Can you tell me where you got it? And the butcher says, Well, man, I don't know. I just buy it off a guy that comes around on Thursdays. Well, can you give me his number? I need to text him. And so you text the guy. Does that make any sense at all? I mean, you would just be constantly chasing. Paul says, "Paul says, don't, don't do that. I mean, are you supposed to go look at, up his address? And then he says, well, I bought it off of this farm up in South Georgia. Well, do you have his number? I mean, are you going to trace that meat all the way back to the farm to make, somebody, make sure somebody didn't lay hands on it and dedicate it to Zeus or Apollo's? I mean, that makes no sense, does it? I was thinking this week, I was talking to someone that doesn't shop at Target anymore. And that's, that's fine. If you don't want to shop at Target, don't shop at Target. That, that's, that's one of those gray areas, right? That's your decision to make. But how far are you going to take that? You come over to my house and I, I put a pa- paper plate in front of you, do you say, well, excuse me, sir, did you buy this paper plate at Target? Because if you did, I can't eat off of it. Does that make any sense at all? Of course it don't make any sense. That's exactly what Paul is, is saying. Paul says, just keep your mouth shut. Don't ask too many questions. Don't look for problems. Don't be overscrupulous and picky. Don't make mountains out of molehills. If somebody doesn't bring it up, just, just move on. Don't, don't, don't go looking and try to find possibilities of offense under every chair and behind every every bush don't go looking for issues just keep your keep your mouth shut in fact in verse 26 he says look the earth is the lord's in the fullness thereof just eat and enjoy if it isn't an issue don't make it an issue don't go looking for issues then he gives by the way another example look at verse 27 if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go eat whatever is set before you. Again, watch what he says, without raising any questions on the ground of... Con- don't go looking to make problems. Don't go looking for issues. That's what he says. Okay? So don't go around asking, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You got any problem with me going fishing this afternoon? Would, you, would that offend... Don't, he said, don't look for those kind of things. Don't, don't even bring it up. Okay, And let's say... He, so he gives here in verse 27... And he says, all right, let me give you another example. Let's say you have some unbelievers that invite you over to dinner and you feel like going. He says you're disposed to go. You feel like going. could be friends. It could be family. It could be some co-workers. Paul says, go. that's what you want to do, go. Have a good time. Eat, Eat whatever's put in front of you. And don't ask questions. Don't, don't look for a possibilities of offense or opportunities for offense. Just whatever they, they put out there, eat it. Now, if you actually go back and look in the Greek, the, the term that Paul uses there for asking questions is actually a legal term. It means don't make an investigation. That's literally what he's saying. Don't make everything an investigation. Don't look for those possibilities under every rock and behind Every bush. He says, just sit down and eat. Don't say, hey, uh, before we eat this, about this food here, has, where'd you buy it? D- do you, was it offered to eat? He said, don't ask those kind of questions, okay? It's only going to cause problems. Don't make mountains out of, out of molehills. Now, that brings us to the second, I mean, number two, or, or the fourth principle. And that is, and I want you to listen to me very carefully here. If you have to make a choice, Choose believers over unbelievers. Now we're talking about offense here. If you have to offend, he says choose believers over unbelievers. Let's see what he says here. Look at verses 28 through 30. But remember, he's just said, you've been off, come over to an unbeliever's house, they've put some food in front of you, don't ask questions. Just keep your mouth shut and eat it. It's all the Lord's, right? It's all His. Just, just, just have, have a good, have, you know, enjoy that T-bone or that ribeye. But then he says this, But but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then Paul says, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And Paul says, I don't mean your conscience, but His. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give, I give thanks. Now, I want you to notice, Paul says, but if you're sitting at the table, you're sitting at dinner with these unbelievers, and someone, that's the word that he uses, someone says to you, hey man, this has been offered to, to idols. Now, here's the question, who is this someone? Is this someone a believer or is this someone an unbeliever Now all we know about this someone is the fact that the meat that the fact that the meat has been offered to an idol somehow offends their conscience it bothers their conscience but you have to ask the question would an unbeliever be bothered by that Anybody I don't think they would In fact, if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul talks about people with weaker consciences, let's read that again. We covered this several weeks ago. Paul says, "...for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died." But when you sin against the brethren and you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. You see, every time Paul talks about someone with a weak conscience, he's talking about who? He's talking about a Christian. He's talking about a weaker brother or a weaker sister who have a weak conscience. You remember we talked about all this uh, several weeks ago. There are some of us, you're, you're raised a certain way. You're raised, for example, maybe as a woman that you always wear dresses to church. We talked about this just because it was an easy one. You always wear dresses. You always wear dresses. And you can come in and you can, you can, you can get saved and all of a sudden you can read the Bible and realize, man, whether I wear a dress or whether I pant, wear pants has got nothing to do with my spirituality. It doesn't make God love me more. It doesn't make God love me less. You can see that in your mind, but I can tell you, you don't just turn around the next week and start wearing pants, do you? Why? Because that's been ingrained in you for years and years and years. You don't just automatically get away from that. A Jewish person who's been taught all their life, don't eat pork, don't eat pork, don't eat ham. You can't eat that. All of a sudden, they get saved and they start reading the Bible and they realize that's got nothing to do with nothing. Paul says what you eat doesn't benefit you or hurt you. In any. It's just food. It's nothing. Well, they can read that in their mind. They don't just automatically start eating ham sandwiches. It takes time for them to grow and mature. You see, you always are, you may be born again, but you're born again with a weaker conscience. And it takes time for that conscience to grow and mature and come to a knowledge of the Word of God. And so, it, so Paul, when he talks about people with weaker consciences, he's always talking about weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let's go back to the dinner that Paul is talking about at an unbeliever's house. See, evidently, he's saying there's someone there. He just calls them someone, but they have a weak conscience. See, he's got to be here referring to a weaker brother in Christ. And this person is aware somehow that that meat has been offered to an idol, so they bring it up. Right before you eat, you, I mean, you've got your knife ready, you got your fork ready, and that ribeye is sitting there, and it looks so good. And you're getting ready to cut into it, and that guy says, hey man, before you eat that, I want you to know that's been offered to Apollos. Right? And you were just ready to. And the thing is, you're sitting there and you're like, man, why? You know, you just drop your fork. You're like, why did you have to bring that up? Right? I mean, why did you even have to say that? So the question is, what do you do? Well, Paul says, tells us what to do. Don't eat it. Now you know, Paul's already told us, and you know, meat offered to idols is nothing. Idols are nothing. They're just pieces of metal, pieces of wood. They're nothing. The meat offered to idols, it's nothing. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't help you. It's just food. But yet, if it offends that brother's conscience, Paul says, don't eat it. Why, Paul? Why is it such a big deal? Why shouldn't I eat it? We'll read it again. If someone says to you, this meat has been offered to sacrifice, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And Paul says, I'm not talking about your conscience. I'm talking about his or or hers. Don't, again, that's, that old, that's the whole thing. Notice it's two principles here. Number one, you chose the brother over who? Over yourself. But here's, this, here's the problem right here. If there's a weaker brother and sister at the table and it would bother their conscience and we don't eat it, you might say to me, well, what about the host? What about the unbeliever that invited you over? Won't it offend them? Yep, it would offend them. That's the whole point. That right there is the principle. If you have to make a decision like that to offend a believer or offend an unbeliever, Paul says do not offend the believer. Don't offend the believer. You 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 take their weaker conscience and that's what you use to make your decision, which means in some cases we might have to offend the non-Christian. And you may say to me, now wait a minute, Derek, but we're trying to win them. aren't aren't going over to the dinner or going to their event or whatever, aren't we trying to win them the Christ? We are. But can I tell you the way to win them is for them to see the validity and the honesty and the integrity and the unity of the Christian faith. See, if you're sitting at the table fighting with one another, I mean, he looks over there and he sees, well, that guy don't believe that, and that guy's doing what he wants. What what kind of testimony is that going to give? See, Paul says the unity of the faith means... That's why we talk about this all the time. The unity, the unity, the unity, because it it proclaims a testimony. It proclaims a message to the world out there. They don't see Christians fighting with one another. They see Christians giving up their liberty for one another. That's what draws them. That's what brings them to 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 the table. John 13, 35, Jesus said this, By this... Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. He's talking brother to brother, brother to sister. That's what he's talking about. You love one another, then everybody knows you're my disciples. They see the validity of the Christian faith. You see, that's why the the believers come first. Now again, I I want you to understand, if you have to choose between offending a Christian and offending a non-Christian, offend the unbeliever. And make sure you maintain the unity of the love of the body of Jesus Christ because that is the greatest testimony that we have. Okay? Now, obviously, don't take that as a license to run out the door and just start offending the world. That's not what Paul's talking about here at all. He's giving us principles or guidelines. In fact, he's got one more principle that he wants to give us, and that is this. When at all possible, offend no one. Okay? Look at verses 32 through 11, One, He says this, "...give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God." Now, he just covered everybody. The Jews, the non-saved Gentiles, and the saved, and the elect. That's, he just covered everybody you could possibly run into. He says, "...when at all possible, give no offense to anyone." And he goes on to explain, "...just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul says, in the same way that I live my life, in the same way that I put others ahead of myself, in the same way that I try to become all things to all men, that I may win some, Paul says, in that same way, imitate me. Live your life the way that I live That I live my life. Do your best not to offend anybody. Do your best not to do anything that will cause someone to stumble, whether it's a believer or an unbeliever. Okay, these are the guidelines and the principles that we are given. We are not to seek our own advantage, our own satisfaction, but we should always seek the profit of others. Paul says why? That they may be encouraged and build up, and in fact, that they may be saved. That's the Christian life. That's how when we have decisions to make, we're always looking not only just to build ourselves up, but we're also looking to build other people up. Try to offend no one. But by the way, you're going to run into situations, right? When possible, offend no one. But yet look at what Jesus said in Luke 17.1. He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come or that offenses may come. It's going to happen. You you try. You don't want it to happen. You try to make sure you're not a part of it happening, but the fact is, it is inevitable. And so what Paul has done is give us some guidelines here to help us out. We're trying to offend no one, but yet there are times we have to make decisions. He's given us those four principles, edification over gratification, liberty over legalism, choose others over self, and if you have to, you absolutely have to make that choice offend an unbeliever before you would offend a believer now paul spent chapter 8 he spent chapter 9 and he spent chapter 10 talking about christian freedom talking about these principles and guidelines and how to um uh, how to live out the christian life now it comes all down to this what's the purpose of all this What's the purpose of, our, of us putting edification over gratification? What's the purpose of, of choosing others over self? What's the point of all this? Well, that's exactly what Paul tells us in verse 31. So, he says, I've told you all this. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. See that's the whole point of doing of using these guidelines to, to walking our, out our Christian freedom is we should be bringing glory to God. Now, that raises questions. Okay? And here's the first one. And we're not going to attempt to answer this today. We're actually going to we're going to talk about this in detail next week because this is a subject the glory of God that we don't talk enough about. We do not talk enough about this subject. In fact, one of the things you are going to learn next week is did you know that the reason God created the heavens and the earth, the reason that God created the animal kingdom, the reason that God created Adam and Eve and the human species, the reason that, that Jesus Christ came to this earth to redeem this world, the reason for all that is to bring glory to God. That's the reason for everything. It's the reason everything happens. It's the reason everything exists. It's His overriding purpose in everything He does is to exalt His name, to bring glory to His name. That's, and we don't talk enough about it. So we're going to talk next week about what is the glory of God, and we're going to try to define it. And we won't do that today, so you will have to come back next week to actually see the, the definition of it. But I can tell you defining the glory of God is kind of difficult. I was thinking this week, you know, there are words in the English language um, that are hard to define. Uh, The glory of God, I was thinking a couple of quick examples, is more like the word beauty than the word basketball. Okay. For example, if if somebody came to you and said they'd never heard the word basketball or didn't know what a basketball was, could you define that for them? It'd be pretty simple, right? You could say, well, it's a, you know, it's a round ball, it's about 10 inches, it's, it, you inflate it and put air in it, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's made out of brown leather, and, you, and, and, you, and it bounces. You could pretty much give them a quick and easy definition of, of what a basketball is, but you can't do that with the word beauty. There are certain words in the English language you just, it, it's hard to define with other words. One of the examples I use sometimes is uh, is colors. For example, the word green. You want to try to define green? Anybody? I can tell you what the definition is. The definition of green is it's the color between blue and yellow on the spectrum of light. Does that help anybody? If you didn't know what green was, does that definition help you at all? It doesn't. See, there are, there are words we know what they are, not because we can define them, but because we can point. My little granddaughter, Ellicate, she's 18 months old, and, and her mom and dad are teaching her colors. And I can tell you, they don't sit down with a, with a dictionary and say, Now, Elocate, green is the color between blue and yellow on the spectrum of light. What do they do? They point. They walk over and say, that's green, and that's green, and that's green, and that's blue, and that's red. And if you point enough and you say enough, that's it. Eventually, someone gets the idea that's green. Not because they can define it, but because they can, they can see it. Same thing with, with beauty. We all know what beauty is. We've got a definition. I mean, we kind of know what it is, but it's really hard to put into words. Hard to come up with a definition of what beauty is. That's the way glory is. That's the way God's glory is. The fact is, it, 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 trying to put it into words to define it, though, is going to be very, very difficult. But we'll try that next week. But what the Scripture does, instead of trying to give you a definition, it talks about it, it points to it. So, for example, look at Psalms 19, 1 through 4. It says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech." And night to night, it reveals knowledge. Last night, I walked outside, probably about 11, I don't know if any of y'all did, but I walked outside, and the stars were out, and the, it was just beautiful. And see, the Bible says, when you look up and you see that, that it, literally, it says, God is shouting at you. He's shouting at you. I mean, whether it's in the clouds, whether it's in the stars, whether it's in the sunset or the moon or the galaxies or whatever it is, God is saying, I am glorious. Look at me. I'm like this, only better. That's the whole point of, 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 of the stars and the universe. They're, they're, they're there to reflect the glory of God. They reflect God who He is. When I, I've said this often. I don't know how anybody can look at the universe and think that just happened. When I look at the universe, I want to know the guy that did that. Don't you? When I look up, I want to know the person, the being that, that did that. I, I want to know him. I want to meet him. I want to see him. It draws me to him. It reflects him. See, that's what the universe is doing. It's shouting the glory of God. It's, it's saying, I'm like this. I'm only better than this. But this is just a reflection of who I am, what I can, can do. That's why... Folks, he created the universe, the moon, the stars, and the galaxy to magnify his glory. It was all designed to give us an image, a a photo, if you like, of the glory of God. Now, here's what I want us to see today. In the same way that the stars and the moon and the galaxy and the universe and the sunsets and all of those things describe or reflect the glory of God... You and I show His glory in the way we live our lives. Paul says, whether you eat, whether you drink, in your sexuality, in your dress, in the way you spend your money, in the way you work, in the way you parent, in the way you marriage, you do it to reflect His glory. You do it so someone will look at your life and say, I want to meet the guy that made that. I want to meet the guy, that the being that changed that person. That's what our whole life is supposed to be about. the same way the universe shouts, I'm glorious, our life should shout, He is glorious. Do you want to know Him? Do you want to meet Him? People should see our lives and that should be reflected. That's what we were made for. That's why we exist on this planet. I was made not only to see His glory, I was made to reflect His glory so that others can see Him in me. So we've gone through chapter 8, we've gone through chapter 9, we've gone through chapter 10. Paul's given us principles and guidelines for walking in Christian freedom, and he comes to the act, chapter 10 and he says, I tell you all this because your purpose, what you were made for, is so that your life will reflect the glory of God in the same way the heavens do, in the same way the universe does. This is not, this isn't, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not something we come in here on Sunday morning and say, well, I got a good lesson, let's go home. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. It is fulfilling our purpose. It's what we were made for. It's what we exist for. So I ask you today as we close, does your life reflect His glory? Does your life reflect His glory? Is, is your life and my life all about satisfying my goals, my dreams? My, my desires? Or is it all about becoming more like Jesus? That, that's a big question. And I think it's a question we all have to ask ourselves. When people look at you and I, do they see Him? When people look at you and I, do they see Him? I had something happen this week, and I'll tell you about it real quick. Um, it, it just so happened, at, at, I was preparing this lesson, and I had some tree cutters, and I'll make this real short. Had some tree cutters come to my house this week, for work for Talquin, and they come out and trim the lines, and they show up, and it was uh, about five of them. They were, were Mexicans. One guy spoke English, the rest of them didn't, and so I went out, talked to him, walked him around the property, showed him what trees to cut. Um, my brother-in-law's place is across the way, and he needed to go over there, and I said, okay, when you're done with mine, come get me, and I'll walk you over there, so he did, and we walked over there, and uh, my brother-in-law's got an old cane mill set up, and he asked me, what, about, what is this, what is that? And I said, it's a cane mill. We make cane syrup. And I said, would you like some? He said, well, yeah. So I went in the house and got him a case of cane syrup and gave him a bottle for him and a bottle for his friends. And um, I thought that was it, you know, told him, nice to meet you. If I can do anything else for you, let me know. So I go back in the house, and I'm upstairs working, and about 3 o'clock, I hear a knock on the door, And I walked downstairs, and him and another guy are standing on the porch. And he says, hey, I just want to let you know we're done. And um, I said, okay, well, great, nice meeting you everything. He said, before I leave, can I ask you a personal question? And I said, well, yeah, sure, ask me a personal question. And I'm not making this up. (laughs) I've never been asked this in my whole life, and I'm not making this up. He looked me in the eye, and he said, what's different about you? what's different about you? And I said, and I was kind of taken aback. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, there's something different about you. He said, I, I go around, and meet a lot of people. He said, there's something different. I want to know what, there's something inside of you that's different. I want to know what it is. And I said, well, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about somebody named Jesus. And I sat there and talked to him about Christ and, and what Christ had done for me and how I tried to live my life and you know, I got his number, and we've been texting back and forth uh, ever since then. And um, here's what I want you to see. Now, by the way, I went in and told Kathy about it, and her first words were, well, Did you tell him what you said to me this morning? <laughs> so, you know, I was floating up, and she just pulled me right back down. The point was this. Guys, listen, I didn't do anything. The point is people are looking. People, it is a world that has gone crazy where people are always mad at one another and offended at one another and they're not kind to one another. And if you'll just be kind, (laughs) I didn't do nothing. If you'll just, people are looking. They're looking for the glory of God to be reflected in people's lives. And I mean, that was amazing to me that somebody would say, what's different about you? There's something different. Tell me what it is, because I, I, I want that. I'm looking for that. I need that. Guys, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. How we live our lives, how we walk around and carry ourselves and treat other people and react to other people is a big deal. Not because we're anything great, because it's, trying to, it's reflecting God. Does that make sense? Just like the universe, it, it, God says, I want to show other people my glory, who I am, through you. Now go out and live this way. Go out and act this way. Go out and carry yourself this way. And let me do the rest. He, by the way, he'll take care of putting the right people at the right point in the right time. He'll take care of all that. You don't have to go do that. But see, that's the question. Are we doing that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.